has uh, how they are mistreating their people. We see that Canada is passing legislation that makes dealing with sin illegal. You can look in the news and hear all kinds of things, including trials going on about child sex trafficking. You can hear about our government raising the debt ceiling. We can hear about TikTok school threats. We can hear about all kinds of Supreme Court and other court battles. And in our own lives, we can look around and recognize that there are family distresses, work pressures, problems and difficulties with our personal relationships, and on an even more personal level, our own tempers, our own indulgences to our sin, our own self-seeking agendas. All of these things are pulling us away from being centered on Christ. Now, it isn't just for Advent season or Lent season or Easter tide or any of these other parts of the year for us to be focused on Christ. But these are opportunities for us to remember that our whole life is centered around Christ Jesus. And here in this part of the church season, we are focused on His coming so that we can have our sins forgiven. You know, the noises of this world do not provide the calm and the quiet that we need to live a quiet and peaceable life with God and men. The peace that we need is from the Lord our God. We desperately want peace. But if we are honest, we do not want the Prince of Peace to rule our lives. We need Jesus to come, to bring peace, and yet He has come. Now today we're going to read and be studying from God's Word from Psalm 96. And I just want to point this out before I read this to you. And that is this, that you'll notice when I read it, that if you're looking in your translation, you probably see the word Lord there, and it's capitalized. When you see all caps for Lord, that is really Yahweh, the name of God. And today as I read this, I'm going to read it with Yahweh inserted for a particular purpose. You see, we serve our Heavenly Father who is a personal God, and even though perhaps an argument could be made, we can't pr properly pronounce it. Yahweh is how we've designated it in our modern era. He has given us His name. He's not an impersonal God who was far away, who sent His impersonal Son down here to do some act. No, the Lord our God, who has a name, who's given us His name, who's given us His word, and He loved us so much that He gave us His personal Son to save us from our sins. So here today, let us read our passage from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Sing to Yahweh. Bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. 
for Yahweh is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the people are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to Yahweh, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to Yahweh the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. The Lord is also, excuse me, the world is also for, firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees in the woods will rejoice before Yahweh. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, we get to this time of year, and we are in such anticipation of Christmas. And we see in this psalm a wonderful anticipation of God's coming. We hear of the Lord's coming, and there is such joy. And you know, right now, I am, I, I'm a realist. If, if you've gotten to know me, you know that I say this. I, I try to be in your lives, and I want you in my life. And I want us to walk together, one another, bearing each other's burdens. Helping each other. Because the truth is, in and among this room, and in our communities, and in our neighborhoods, but especially in the house of the Lord, amongst all of us, there are a great deal of burdens that people, truthfully, all of us, are challenged with. That we're dealing with. And left to our own means, left to the world's answers, to our problems, there is no peace. There is no joy. But Christ has come, and there is such a joy, such a wonder, such a lifting of the Spirit. You know, as we consider... This, these words here out of Psalm 96, I want to just break it down and kind of give you the fullness of the language that's here today. It begins in verse 1. O sing to Yahweh a new song, sing to Yahweh all the earth. And remember, what is singing? Singing is glorified speech. Now, you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let me ask you this question. Ladies, if your husband at some point has ever sung to you, you had an appreciation for it. Or if you're my wife, maybe not so much because I can't, <laughs> I can't always remember all the words or keep it in tune. Okay? But 
singing is glorified speech. It's beautiful. It, Im it improves what we say. You know, when we sing the hymns and we sing the psalms and we together as a church, we're learning and working and improving our singing and learning our parts of, four, of the, the four parts that we have in the hymnal and the psalm, psalter. We, we are doing this so that we can sing better and be more glorious. If you've ever had an opportunity to sing in a large crowd, it's amazing. I once was at an event where 50,000 men were singing the same hymn. I can't think of anything else that was more glorious than that. And on the last day, when all the peoples of the world are singing, it will be glorious. And so it says, sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. And this word earth here means all peoples. It isn't the dirt and the rocks and the trees, although they will praise and have praised the Lord. He is saying, all people sing to Yahweh. Verse 2, sing to Yahweh, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. This word, sing to Yahweh and bless, this word bless means to bless, to kneel. It is a recognition of submission while giving glory and praise to God. And it says proclaim. This word proclaim means to bear news, tidings, to publish, to preach. As we consider this, it's saying, talk about the wonderful blessing of God. Now, you know the hymn that says, His mercies are new every morning. If you're a Christian and you are looking at your life and you're submitting yourself to the truth of God's word, you know that to be true. So you can sing a new song to God. You can confess your sins and you should be confessing your sins every day. Keep a short account with the Lord Almighty and with those around you. But His mercies are new. We can sing this song and we should proclaim it. We should encourage one another. And we should do what? We should proclaim the good news of His salvation, His deliverance. It isn't just deliverance from sin, but it is the graciousness of His care for us. And that He brings prosperity to us. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel where I'm talking about putting extra cash. Now sometimes God blesses us in that way, but that is not the prosperity here. It is the prosperity of having your sins forgiven and having guilt and regret pushed away. Not just pushed away, taken away by the work of Jesus Christ. And what does God do with those sins? He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. Now you and I, we struggle with that in forgiveness, don't we? For ourselves, for others, we just want to keep dragging it up. That is not how God forgives us. And how does he say to do this? He says, from day to day. Now this phrase, day to day, if you look at it, you come to understand that it is about the day and the time and the season. He is saying, proclaim these things today, remembering where you are and history and where we're going, and 
do this in a seasonal way. It's year to year. Verse 3, declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. Now we see this here, this declaring. It means to number, to take account, to reckon. Declare His glory. Take an account of His glory, of His mercies, of His grace, of His blessings, of His forgiveness for you and for others. And he says, declare it among the nations. Now this word, nations, this means not just people, but the heathen, the unbelieving. It could even be understood as Gentiles, but it is clearly about those that are not in the covenant family of God. Declare these things. Unfortunately, sometimes we get a little embarrassed to share the joy of God's forgiveness to other people in our lives, in our workplace, in our families. Stop it. Talk to them about the joy of God's forgiveness and His work in your life. Why? Because God told us to. And we are to tell it, those that are unbelieving, His wonders. These are the things that are extraordinary because you and I are sinners who do not deserve God's grace, forgiveness, and justice, and yet He does it. It's a marvelous thing. God did this, and we are to declare it to all the heathen. And you know what it says? And then it says, among all peoples. So it says, to the nations and all peoples. And this word peoples actually means all of mankind, but more, a little more tight than that, our kinsmen, our family. Today, here in the house of God, we are the family of God. Declare it to one another. I'm going to tell you, you don't know the difficulties in your fellow parishioners' lives, in your brothers' and sisters' lives. Declare what God is doing for you and His mercy and grace to them all week long. Remember your mission to God, to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and to the world. That's what this passage is telling us, this first part. is telling us, remember the mission. We're doing Advent. Perhaps you have an Advent wreath at home. You're, rem you're reminding each other. And then someone comes to your house. You're reminding your family about this being a reminder of Christ's time, this season. You're doing it. You're centered. And then someone comes to your house and they say, oh, what is this? Or maybe they know what it is. But it gives you an opportunity to share with each other, with your brothers and sisters, and then also with unbelievers. Remember the mission that God has called us to. Now here's another point that comes up here that we often forget. Sometimes as Christians, we bathe in this mercy, and I don't want us to forget it, but we get so happy, oh, we got it all together. I can live my life because now I'm a Christian and I don't have to worry about how I live. No. You need to remember this, that the Lord's coming is a frightful thing. The day of the Lord is a frightful thing if you don't submit to Him, if you do not confess your sins, if you do not recognize and live your life with the understanding that Jesus is Lord over all things, 
not just some spiritual place, but over all things. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, we're reminded of this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says this, And they heard, that's Adam and Eve, the sound of the Lord, or that is Yahweh, God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh, God, among the trees of the garden. And again, I'm emphasizing Yahweh here because I want you to understand they knew God. They knew His name. He was personal. And He was coming. And He was coming with love and justice and truth. And they were afraid because they had, diso they had disobeyed. And when Yahweh God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where they were? It's kind of like when your child is under the blanket. Ha, ha, ha. Where am I? Right? And you can see the lump on the floor under the blanket. And you can hear them. Right? God knew where they were. But they were hiding because they were afraid of God. Why were they afraid? And it says this in verse 10. So he, that is Adam, said, I heard your voice in the garden. This word voice is sound. It is the awesomeness of God coming. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, we tend to think this, oh, they didn't have clothes, so they were naked. No, they recognized, of course, they had no clothes on, but the reality is they knew that they were naked in the sense that their sins were exposed. That's what was going on here. It, it wasn't simply because they had no clothes. It's because they were exposed. Their sin was right before them, and they knew it. And he, that is God, who told you that you were naked or exposed, that you were a sinner? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded to you that you should not eat? And of course you know that God came and it was a frightful thing for them. But he didn't leave it there. God is always merciful. He not only shed the blood of animals and gave them animal skins to wear to cover up their physical bodies. But it was also a representation of the blood that needed to be shed for our sins through Christ Jesus. And we, of course, see that pattern that God develops throughout all of the Old Testament. There's hope, but it is a frightful thing to have your sins exposed before the Almighty. And it isn't just there at the very beginning, but we see this with Cain. Cain was afraid when God came. Noah, and in the time of Noah, the peoples, they had no fear of God. And God brought judgment and salvation. God brought judgment on Egypt and salvation. God took the people of Israel through the wilderness and brought judgment and salvation. You see this with the judges and even the exile of the people of God. God brings judgment and he brings his mercy and salvation. But his judgment falls upon those, even those that are supposed to be the people of God, who are rebellious and won't repent of their sin, who won't walk with God at the center, with Christ at the center of our lives. If we continue reading on in Psalm 96, verse 4 says this, For Yahweh is great 
and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now again, it says this, for God is great. And you know, this word great, it, it's really an amazing word because it isn't just, well, God is great. God is good. You know that prayer, right? No, God is great. This word means he's great. No, no, he's greater. No, no, he is the greatest. There is none greater than he. And it is said in such a way that he is large. He is loud. He is intense. Just like in the Garden of Eden. He came, they were afraid because he was loud. He was coming. They heard the sound of God and were afraid. We see that again the word says, and greatly to be praised. Webster's Dictionary says this is exceedingly much. He is exceedingly much to be praised. That is to shine forth God's favor. That's what praise is. To sing it, to speak it, to walk in it. And he turns right, and you've got to understand this. This is, this is how God is. He's a holy God. So we go right from this great blessing and praising him and telling of his mercies to each other and to the world and, and speaking back to him, thanking him for all these things. And it says, he, that is God, is to be feared. That is to revere, to dread, to stand in awe in honor and respect. You know, sometimes as Christians we become like little children to God. I mean, we are little children, but we, we approach it this way. We become very confident in our own doings, our own righteousness. And we say, we're just nonchalant in our relationship with the living, triune, almighty God. And he's not ruling in our lives. We say we want the peace from all this noise and trouble in the world, but we don't want him to rule us. But you know, God is greater and should be feared. And he is greater than all gods. And that, that word all gods there, that's Elohim. That's rulers and judges and divine ones and all things which rule us. You see... He is above anyone who claims to be the, the, the one who can take care of you. The government is an idol. The government can't take care of you. It's important. It has its role. Scripture lays it out. And it's a wonderful thing if it's done according to the Scriptures. But when the government tries to meet all of everyone's needs, they are behaving as God. But it isn't just them or judges, but it is actually... God is above all things that rule us, including ourselves or things that we yield to and let control our lives. God is greater than these things. Verse 5 says, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Okay, this is, again, you've got to look at this. You've got to understand the awesomeness of God. This word for, all the gods, this word for is yea and indeed. Not just, you know, something that helps us with our language. Okay, it's yea and indeed, all the gods, all the rulers, 
the ones or the things that we submit ourselves to, of all people, of all mankind, even the kinsmen, even all of us as Christians, all of these things that we submit to instead of submitting to God are idols. Now, idols are not just false gods, but they are worthless and good for nothing. That's what that word idol means. It's just worthless and good for nothing. And yet we are constantly submitting ourselves and letting other things or people or ideas or psychology or philosophy all rule us. And in response to that, God's word says, but Yahweh made the heavens. Now this is really important. Yahweh made the heavens, and of course we, a lot of times we take that word and we go right to, you know, that place where God's throne is. Well, that's part of it, but that's not what he's meaning here. The heavens is the place where God placed the sun and the moon and the stars. And if you understand God's word and the symbolism and the typology, all of those things, what did he do? He put the sun and the moon and the stars to do what? To rule. And so... Not just rule the seasons, although that's part of it, but there is also the idea that God is the one who set up all authorities. So God is greater, He is holy, and He set up all authorities. And we know Romans 13 tells us that. And here in verse 6 of Psalm 96 it says, Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. So not only is God awesome and powerful and greater than all other structures, all other ideas of authority, we know that he is beautiful, kind, and merciful. Now several weeks ago when we were talking about dangers and pitfalls of the Advent and Christmas season, I'm going to highlight those just quickly here and just say this. Bring them up again today because as we think about the holy God and being our lives centered around him, we need to look at the things, the traps we fall into as we think about Christmas. So here are the warnings. We have to, we've been warned against sentimentalism. God came into the sinful world of conflict and violence. Death is our enemy. God ordained conflict and death are the death of of the competing idols. Now, here's the thing. The world says, the world puts up this false idea of, of Christmas being a peaceful time. And if you watch television or movies today, even Hallmark, there's this moment where all the tension is temporarily resolved. Just, they just get quiet and there's a little music playing and all this stuff is going on. They haven't resolved anything. There's been no confession of sin. There's no been restoring of relationships. There's no been getting right with the Almighty through Christ Jesus. All of a sudden, we're going to just all be quiet, and the world is peaceful. It's not reality. And Christ did come to die, and that was a violent thing. Righteous conflict is important, but at the same time, this idea of peace without Christ is a lie. It's a lie. We need to repent and be restored, not ignoring the fact that there is difficulty in the world. Another thing that we need to stay out of is moralism. That is Christmas without sin. 
as if there's some moral peace without Christ dealing with sin. And I know it sounds like what I just said, but it's because we've constructed all these things. Oh, if we get the trees and the lights up, everybody will stop fighting. There'll be no tension in the household. All of, everything will be okay. People of God, stop it. Wake up in love. What does scripture say? I, I, I can't tell you how many times I say that because we just have to be reminded of it. Those of you who are mature, it says spiritual, but that word spiritual there is mature. Those of you who are mature in God should restore. That is, bring someone to repentance. But do it in such a way so that you don't fall into the same sins they're doing or fall into other sins. Tell the truth in love and deal with it. Confess sin and be restored. You know, it's interesting. There is sin, and we know that that's true. Don't fall into the trap of trying to ignore it. Finally, stay out of this idea of spiritualism. A spiritualistic Christmas is a Christmas without matter. What I mean is, you know, this is matter. This is a physical thing, right? Your life in Christ is not some ethereal thing, spiritual thing to be obtained in some other dimension. No, God created us in physical bodies to live in the physical world, to do physical work, to come in contact with other physical beings. No, Christmas is something that brought the holy God down and he put on a physical body so that his blood could be shed for our sins. A spiritual life is not separate from the life you live every day. This is again why we say, and I know I'm just talking about this Advent wreath, it's just one illustration of a lot of things, but, but centering our lives, our whole calendar, every day, every season, every month around Christ Jesus. And again, it's not because we're trying to obtain some spiritual plane. And, because remember, what happens at the very end? We're all brought back to life. There is the resurrection. We get physical bodies. We will be walk, able to walk in heaven and earth. And it will have physical matter. Don't fall into this difficulty. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? This is calling us to understand that we are to do things here on earth. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And this word earthly is simply to say it is full of sin. It is not that the earth, the dirt, is wicked. No, God's called us to tend it, to make it better, to take dominion and make it better. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Boy, that last one we get tied up on. Well, what do we do now? Can't have any hypocrisy. Confess your sins to one another. Don't stay divided. Be right with God. And be right with one another. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace 
by those who make peace. Peace cannot be made without confession of sin. But don't lose hope. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 says there is always hope. And listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, that I will raise David, raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. How wonderful is this? He came to restore so that we could confess. We could get in right relationship with God. We see in verse 7, this idea, it isn't just stuck right there. It says this. It says, Give to Yahweh, O families of the peoples. Give to Yahweh glory and strength. Give to Yahweh the glory due His name. So this word give, in the very beginning, give to Yahweh, it says, is, is to set a place. Set a place in your life, folks, daily, weekly, seasonally. And I know here, we, we're all in church here today, so we've set this time aside. That's great. This is the launching point of our week. This is the starting point. Every day, set a place, a time for God. And it says this, set a place to Yahweh. O families, that is clans, that's the kindred, that's the people of God. We have got to be in each other's lives during the week. Are you talking to one another? Are you eating with one another? Are you getting on the phone? I'll settle for some texting to set up getting together. But are we doing these things? We need to. So that, again, we're setting God up as the center of our life. Give Yahweh, the glory due His name. Set up a memorial. And we're going to have one of those over here today, but it isn't just for church, it's for your life every day. Now listen, it is truly about recognizing that Jesus is Lord of all things. Consider a very famous passage from Isaiah chapter 9 that we relate to Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, for the zeal of the Lord of hosts, that is Yahweh, will perform this. It is God who came and overshadowed Mary, and Christ came and was born. But don't lose sight of this. Peace, he's the Prince of Peace. And look at this, though. There's a conflict right here because it says, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government... And peace, there'll be no end. Folks, if our government is going to be right, it really needs to recognize that God is Lord. And if they could get down to instead of all this other mess and say, okay, what does God's word tell us how to handle these issues? Yeah, there'd be some debate. But at least we'd be on the right track and submitting our government to God's word. It is in conflict. If we're not seeking truth, and the solutions to problems through God and His Word, by the work of Christ, by the mercies 
of Christ's blood in our life, there will not be peace. It is a wonderful thing. Again, if we continue on, we can recognize in Psalm 96, it says this, Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now, even though he, he is talking about how mighty and holy and righteous he is, he, he then is telling the people of God to bring an offering. He's saying, come and have relationship with me. Come and worship me. Let us be together. This offering, to bring the offering, means to carry, to sustain, to endure. Bring yourself to God, your troubles, your difficulties, and your sin confess and be restored. Come into his courts. That is his abode where he lives. The personal God of the universe through Christ Jesus has restored our relationship with him. And he says this. It is worship Yahweh in the beauty of his holiness. That is the adornment of public worship. That is Christ's forgiveness because everything we do in here without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is nothing. But it is beautiful because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It becomes beautiful. And it says this, tremble before him all the earth and in this case earth means land tremble because we didn't deserve it but Christ's grace is there for us and makes this and all that we do here today beautiful verse 10 says say among the nations Yahweh reigns the world is also firmly established it shall not be moved he shall judge the people's righteously now this is very important this word say means to speak to answer to command among the heathen and the unbelievers the nations here it's those unbelievers we need to speak in command of god's forgiveness and his mercy among the unbelievers and then it says this this is important yahweh reigns okay the world is also firmly established God is sovereign. You don't have to change the people's mind. It is His Spirit that opens his mind, their minds, the lost minds, to the truth. You, wanna, you wonder why there's all this chaos in the world and why people are saying what, what you and I look at and go, man, can they hear themselves? Can they actually hear themselves talking? Why is it that they can't just sit down and be reasonable and talk about whatever the problem is and work it out? It's because... They're lost. Their eyes are not open to the truth. They don't understand God's mercy. They don't understand confession and restoration. There is no peace. But God is sovereign. And if we speak among the unbelievers, and what do we say? This is God's world. Yahweh reigns. The world is firmly established. It is set up and fixed. God is sovereign. 
let the Spirit of God do His work, we're called to speak, remembering our mission to each other in the world. And you know what? In case we didn't get it, it goes on and says, it, that is the world, it shall not be moved. That is, it won't totter, it won't slip. God is not shaky. He gives us assurance. He says, I reign and things are so. My word is true. And he does judge. And, it sa- and when he says this, he says, and he shall judge the peoples. This is actually the kindred, the, the people of God. It says, and he will judge, that is minister, plead the case of his people in a righteous way. You know why the world is afraid? You know why COVID has made the world shake at its core? Because life outside of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is scary. If your sins are not forgiven, if your guilt and regret is not dealt with, the world is a scary place. But there is assurance of forgiveness of your sins in Christ Jesus. So, as we come near the end, we see Psalm 96 say this in verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before Yahweh. Because there is forgiveness, because Jesus came, because there was the first advent of Christ's coming, we can rejoice. And in this case, this word heavens is actually outer space where the stars are and the glorious thing. Let the heavens rejoice. And let the earth, that is the land, be glad. And the sea, which is, which is a scary place, it, it, we can't control it. There's nothing we can do. When a bad storm comes up, you are subject to it. And yet God says, rejoice, let the heavens, let the land, let the earth, all rejoice. And all of us rejoice before the Lord Yahweh. And why do we rejoice? Verse 13, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Now this is a wonderful thing you say again when you're talking about judgment. But the truth is his mercies found in the work of Jesus Christ. He is coming. He has come. And he will come. Let us pray. Our most good and gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that brings life and peace. We thank you for your great salvation. We thank you for this Christmas season and what it means to us. We thank you that we can set aside a time when we can celebrate the incarnation of of your Son. Come to earth to save us from our sins. We pray that the joy that we feel in this time of holiday and celebration would be a time when we feel the joy of your salvation and the joy that we have because our lives have meaning and purpose and because hope in you. 
Bless us now as we come to your table of fellowship through the work of your son, Jesus. We pray that you would bless all those who worship this day in your name. In Christ, our Savior's name, we pray. Amen.